that happen at some point, guys. It's kind of a shame. It's been a great ride while it lasted, but... Problem here is... Any show, good, bad, in between, is gonna have bad episodes in it. Um, I actually don't think I can think to any television show, ever, that has not had bad episodes. I went back and checked, though. Of course, this is just my opinion, but there were 12... 12 solid episodes, obviously that reaches back into Season 3, that were good or great. Some of my favorite stuff in Voyager, and I, it's been great just gushing about Nemesis, about Raven, about Revulsion, Day of Honor, Scorpion, The Gift, just like, yes! And then we get to this episode. Now, I'm sorry. It is, as ever, my job to dissect, analyze, and of course, as the title explains, ruminate on these episodes. I don't have much to say about this one. I mean, here, look at my notes. Look at my notes, here. You see this? This is it. That's all I got. There's nothing to talk about here, really. I mean, there's stuff to talk about, and I will be talking about it. But I mention this because it's a weird position to be in for me. Uh, this happens for both good and, and bad episodes, really. But sometimes, you know, I mean, Threshold. I talked about Threshold for like an hour. Just went off on it for like an hour. Because I could, because there was lots to talk about. But this episode, like, if I was to go with the uh, type of scaling system that Sci-Fi Debris uses and rate the episode on a scale of negative 10 to 0 to 10 within the context of its own series, in other words, how does it rate up against all the other Voyager episodes, an episode like this one, Scientific Method, would literally be a flat <laughs> zero right in the middle. Because there are a couple of good elements, and there are a couple of bad elements, and that's it. This is a very pedestrian episode, and I'm going to try and explain one of the reasons why I feel it failed most strongly. Now, first of all, I've always said that in all forms of fiction, the way a work is, is received ultimately comes down to presentation. Now, obviously, a good script can really help, uh, help reach that point, but even a bad script can and has been salvaged by really good acting, really good directing, or some combination of thereof with good editing or good effects or good music usage, you know, something like that, it is possible to salvage a bad script. But this script is just lacking. Let me put this in a different way. On paper, which of these uh, sounds like more interesting for a horror mystery episode? Hologram is malfunctioning, or... People are uh, experimenting on the crew without their knowledge right in plain sight. Now, admittedly, this is just my perspective, but for me, that second plot point sounds way more interesting as far as horror elements, as far as the possibility of psychological terror, as possibility of the mystery element of what's going on and why. And yet, the previous episode idea, which came out in the episode Revulsion, was extremely horrifying and very atmospheric and very wonderfully presented, and yet this episode, which has all those elements on the paper, just flounders. And it's weird looking at it. Now, for those of you who don't know, which is none of you, I think, at this point, I make it a point to go through as much backlog and research and throw all my magazines and all the articles as I can in order to talk about, uh, get some background information for these episodes, behind-the-scenes kind of a thing. There are only two things about this episode I saw behind the scenes. That's it. Nobody was talking about it. In fact, one of those behind-the-scenes things 
wasn't about the episode. I think that just says all I need to say. So that's it. That's the end of the video. Bye, guys. No, 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 no. I'm... There is a second problem with the script on the base of it, though. And this is a problem Voyager has had before. I've talked about this before. And that is that this is an art episode that's already been done. Now, don't mistake me. I've always said that repetition is not necessarily bad. I don't care if you do something the same. I care if you do it good. However... Anytime you were repeating a previously done episode, especially if that previous episode was done better, then you automatically have more difficulty coming up with making your episode better. So in other words, possible to work has worked in the past, doing that kind of a retread of an idea. However, you have to, you have to try much harder to make up for the fact that, oh, well, I've seen this before. And they don't. For those of you who haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about the episode Schisms over on Next Generation, which was an incredibly atmospheric, very horrifying episode. <laughs> And very well done for that point. And what the heck, I just got spam on my phone. I don't even have a, a, a touch phone. I have an old, normal phone. Go away. <laughs> um, and that's more interesting than talking about the episode. No, okay. I guess we'll talk about the behind-the-scenes material. One of the things was the discussion uh, McNeil and Dawson had. Now, there are three ways to perceive what happens in this episode with regards to them, too. By the way, I just feel like pointing out, um, in case anyone doubted this, uh, McNeil and Dawson never actually became romantically involved that I'm aware of. I mean, after all, this is a point in time when Dawson was already pregnant with her child, don't forget. Yet, the two of them were so, had such incredible chemistry and, and were good friends and worked together so naturally... Well, let's just say that some of the romantic scenes look like a lot more real than they actually are because the two have basically everything going for them as far as the relationship except romantic interest as far as the real-life people go. Um, I mention this because this is really, really on display in this episode. The director basically said, just really be into each other, and they both kind of flung themselves into it. In one... See? <laughs> I can't believe this. In one scene... McNeil, I'm not going to tell you the scene. If you really want to know, just go rewatch it, and, and it'll be obvious. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the scene. I'll save you the time. It's in the engineering. It's at the second floor of engineering, uh, a few minutes into the episode. McNeil actually goes to reach for her breasts as they're making out. Fake making out. It's Hollywood making out. Because they were both so into it, and he has to suddenly visibly restrain himself because he, you know, he's acting with a friend of his on a camera. Um, and on a Star Trek show where that wouldn't be accepted anyways. And um, I just find that amusing. But both of them talked about uh, the, the progression their characters had on this thing. Three ways to interpret it, okay? Number one, the influence of the aliens basically didn't do anything other than made them feel a little more giddy and hormonal than usual. It has actually been argued that even that was not alien influence. I'll discuss that last because I feel like that's the thing that is most interesting to talk about. Like I said, I tried to find some things to talk about. Um, the second idea is that most of their romantic uh, excess in this episode... Do keep in mind, they haven't actually been together romantically until the previous episode to this one. Uh, whose name I suddenly can think of? The Raven. That's it. No, no, not The Raven. Um, it was actually two episodes ago. It was uh, Revulsion. It was the first time they actually uh, kissed. Very first on-screen kiss. And so they've been very up and down, not really, we've just started dating kind of a thing. Now... Forgive me, but I'm sure every single one of my audience members knows what this feels like. When you first start dating someone for the first time, it's actually a pretty awesome feeling. 
It's a pretty energetic feeling. You tend to be a lot more exuberant than you otherwise would be. And given that these two people have been around each other for three plus years and haven't really had much going for them in the way of benef you know, a positive outlook on life and have just had something amazing fall into the two of their laps, you know, I know this sounds weird, but the idea of finding someone you find intellectually and emotionally and physically attractive who also feels that way about you, who also happens to live in walking distance of you, <laughs> especially in the modern age, do you know how much value that would have? And especially for these guys. So the fact that they're so into each other... I'm sorry, I, I said I wouldn't talk about this first, but whatever, I'm already getting into it. The f it is entirely possible that the two of them are not any, any real influence at all. They're just being studied. They just happen to be really, really into this because they're really into each other and they're really enjoying the experience. And of course, there's a lot of we've been dancing around each other for a while and now we're finally allowed to act on our feelings. Let's go. You get where the implication is there. Personally, of the various uh, perspectives on what happens here, I like that one the best. As weird as it sounds, it's it makes the most sense in character for me. <laughs> and I admit there's a little bit of spite involved. Because it means the aliens, who are completely forgettable, I don't even remember their names, completely forgettable bad guys of the week, have no influence on the only thing that actually matters in this episode, which is Tom and uh, Paris' relationship. And I like that thought. But even ignoring that... It also makes the most sense for me, structurally speaking, because it's the only thing that could be approached, considered to be approaching a theme for this episode. And that theme is the idea that you can be manipulated on a chemical level, and therefore the defiance of that and the natural human instinct to defy such a thing, to defy our biology, to literally become more than the sum of our parts, thereby being expressed in the two of them, not being under the influence of this. And that, of course, comes nicely in the coda, which is huge. I, this is like the longest coda I've ever seen in Voyager. It's several minutes of the two of them trying to reconcile in their quarters afterwards and actually talking about the events of the episode. And it's probably the best scene in the episode, uh, which is why I will be going ahead and sharing it at the end here. Either that or the Nova scene. I don't know. I'll have to think of something. I, uh, no, no, I know what scene I'll show at the end. But anyways, I'm going to have topic. Point being, that's why I like that. Now, of course other options. Uh, they're being influenced, but only on a chemical level. Now, what I mean by that is they're already into each other. They've already admitted they're into each other. They've been romantically at, uh, attached to each other for a while. They've been friends for a while. And all of a sudden, their hormones are cranked up as if they were teenagers again. Teenagers again. Yeah, that is actually uh, what... And I mentioned this because of the McNeil and Dawson thing. Yeah, I, I tie it up somewhat. I... I, I, I Ugh, I'm stuttering all over the place tonight. Forgive me. I told you I'd tie that in somehow. The um, McNeil and Dawson, both the actors, both believed that was actually what happened. That their um, uh, hormones were cranked up to 11 by the aliens, but otherwise they were just as into each other as they always were. And the coda seems to support that. The final interpretation is interesting, though. One of the things that happens in human history is, let's say there's person A here, which is represented by this pen. And here's person B, represented by this blue pen. And it's only blue because I needed them to be visual distinct. Here, you know what, here. Let's make it even simpler. Okay, so person A and person B. It doesn't matter which is which or what gender it is. None of that matters. These two people are just people. Now, let's say something comes along to encourage them to be very close to each other and intimate. Not necessarily physically or romantically. They've gone through a crisis together. Or they've been mind-controlled to be close to each other. Or one of them has been... Uh, you know, influence to really be interested in the other. You know, there's lots of ways this can come out, especially in a fictional setting. And then 
the influence is removed, the external stimuli is removed, and they're left both there, and yet both of them are now left with thoughts that they never actually expressed before. In other words, they might not have been interested in each other, either as romantically or friends or whatever, but the uh, circumstances they have gone through have now made them think that that is an acceptable thought, and therefore, from that point, it would grow naturally into an actual friendship, romantic, romantic relationship, or whatever. Deep Space Nine actually does something similar to this on several occasions where several characters end up in traumatic circumstances to each other and as a result of that are willing to accept the other more which over the course of the series leads to stronger friendships and growth in the bonds of fellowship in that show. Mostly non-romantic, I might add, but it, this kind of concept is not limited to romance. It's just applied to romance with, a, with regard to Tom and Paris. Or Tom and Paris, wow. Tom and Bolana. I'm really tired. I've recorded like five episodes today. So the idea here is that the two of them have been friends for a long time, and they've just started dating. I mean, literally just started dating. And then aliens come by and say, You really want each other! And then that influence is removed, and they're left now with the thought, Well, maybe we do really want each other. Maybe we do want to take this to the next level. You know, that kind of a thing. Food for thought. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts, because I could be blunt, this is one of the only things I've worth talking about, other than something I don't like talking about. I did say that there was one other uh, behind-the-scenes thing to talk about. That is from Garrett Wong, who plays Harry Kim. <sighs> Garrett Wong is an actor who I feel really bad for. He hasn't done much outside of Voyager. For those of you who don't know, acting on a regular television show as a regular cast member is astonishingly stressful and straining. Most pe I've mentioned this before, but most people don't fully realize just how much of a strain it is being there day after day, week after week, as your re full-time regular job acting in that kind of a facet on a television show. It's uh, one of the reasons Patrick Stewart was actually considering bowing out of Star Trek back in TNG. It is the reason why Avery Brooks hasn't done anything since Deep Space Nine. In fact, Avery Brooks had to be convinced more than once to stay on Deep Space Nine because of how incredibly stressful he found it. It was actually affecting his health and his, his home life, you know. he I don't mean like in a bad way, I mean just he was stressed all the time because it's very straining to do that. So when you have an actor who really, really likes being a part of a show and really has genuine enthusiasm for it, that's kind of a rarity. I mention that because a lot of the cast of Voyager have that. Picardo does, um, Mulgrew does, Tim Russ does, and of course Garrett Wong did. All of them were very enthused and excited and, and genuinely loved being on the show regularly. And that's such a crime to me, because as I've said a few thousand times, and will continue saying until they finally decide to do something with the character, which will not be until the killing game, by the way, um, they don't do anything with Harry Kim. Harry Kim is so irrelevant to the show. He has had so little actual significance. And yet he still enjoyed being a part of the series. The behind-the-scenes thing was him doing an interview with someone about the show in general. Not even about the episode. It just happened to be during recording of this episode. I mention this because this has come up many times. I, I don't even remember if I have mentioned this before. Forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But... There have been several, several episodes where there's a little interview with, uh, I forget the name of the magazine, and him, while he's on the set, about a, an episode he basically has nothing to do with. 
Where is Harry Kim in this episode? You know, and I'll actually, I don't even remember if he's in this episode, but he was the guy who was being interviewed because he was the one who really loved talking about it and expounding upon it, and so the media went to him most frequently when it came to this sort of stuff. By contrast, most of the interviews with other cast members usually came when, uh, during you know, completely separate instances of, you know, well, let's, talk, let's have a powwow about this. You know, this was back when conventions were, for Star Trek were still very, very big and would happen with a great deal of regularity, so, you know, that kind of a thing. I just find that interesting and tragic in its own way. Um, three quick points before I go into the last thing I have to talk about. I told you, I don't got much, guys. First of all, they put a barcode on DNA. I'm going to say that again. They stamp a barcode on a strand of DNA. That's so stupid, I don't even know where to start, so I'm just going to leave it at that. The other interesting thing about this episode, this is the first episode where Seven saves the day by virtue of being Borg. I say first, because anyone who's watched the series knows that this will happen a lot. It's kind of a shame, though. I, I liken it to the holodeck. The holodeck, when it was first used on TNG, was great. And there's a lot of really good stuff they did with that. And after that, occasionally, there were good episodes with it. But it became overused... Well, it's... I'm, it became overused because it was overused. They used it too much, and they leaned on it, and that's how it became a cliché. That's how the holodeck malfunctioning became a cliché. Seven's Borg implant saving the day is also going to be leaned on a lot. In fact, in the aforementioned The Killing Game, that's how they'll save the day in that episode. It's because the fact that she's Borg. <sighs> Shrug. I do want to give props to Kate Mulgrew in this episode. She does a surprisingly good job of portraying someone who is agitated and anxious to the point of... Uh, she, actually, she herself uh, gave a word for it. I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it was like frenetic, basically. She has this constant... <laughs> but she doesn't do it like most people would. Instead, her movement is almost completely minute. Anything she does is... <clears throat> you know, straight from point A to point B. And as if she's trying to minimize, uh, you know, have a good economy of her movements. And her tone is perfect. At all times, she sounds agitated. And yet when it is pointed out that she's agitated, which happens more than once, she realizes it. She is not so far gone as to be like, you know, I'm going to bite your head off. So she's not in... The, uh, we see this so often in Star Trek where, you know, alien possession or whatever, and they just are hideously, obviously not themselves. But in this case, Mulgrew does a good portrayal of Janeway, she is still Janeway, she just happens to be really messed up at the time, you know? So that's some good stuff. One of the reasons this episode is so damned boring is it has no point to it. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When it comes to television, this is of course my opinion, but this is also my professional opinion, not just my personal opinion. You should strive for one or more of the following goals. Entertainment is the most obvious and the most broad, um, but usually it involves making something that you enjoy watching. It, it hits that sweet spot, as I like to call it, that chemical balance where some, some people's brains will look at it and say, yes. Usually that involves, uh, now that, that's a broad category, so we're going to split that up into multiple categories. For example, make it humorous. Now, Star Trek's always been hit or miss on its humor, but a lot of television shows specifically aim for entertainment in humor. Make it intellectually engaging. This is probably the most important part right here make the episode about something. Now, 
There's two ways to go about that, so we're branching yet another time here. The first way is to introduce an idea and just let it sit there. Let the audience make up their own mind about it. Uh, Voyager will actually be doing this later, and in a really good uh, way, I might add. And Star Trek in general has usually been very good about bringing up an idea and then letting the audience come up with their own ideas. But that, of course, brings me to the second way, which is, at this point is actually the fourth uh, item on the list here. And that is to use fiction as a way to examine a real-life thing... <laughs> in, a, in an extreme. For example, uh, experimentation on living things, which is the one in this case. Now, Star Trek has done this thing a lot, and the problem is Star Trek has had a bad habit, especially in, the, in some of the early TNG stuff, to get very, very preachy about it. And I hate being preached to. And yet this episode doesn't do that, so I can't even be mad at this episode. This episode does not preach to me about its message of, of experimenting on living beings is bad, or sentient beings is bad, or sapient beings is bad, or whatever you want to call it. it, it it's just, here's some hideously evil and yet simultaneously completely boring and forgettable enemies of the week. The main guest star, oh god, the main guest star who plays the woman doctor is so bland in her performance that I swear someone was just reading, holding a script just off camera for her. And it, it's literally like, here... I'm just going to read my own notes here as an example. Pedestrian episode, never horrifying. Compare revulsion and schisms. Almost no background material. McNeil and Dawson. And, and I, I, I'm boring myself just reading it. So that, that's how her lines come across. And she is so damn dull. And there's nothing interesting about her. Some... It, there's two ways to make a villain interesting, in my opinion. I know I'm just diverging all over the place, but forgive me. Two real ways to make a villain interesting. Really go over the top with them. You know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, that sounded more like Kefka, but that's not what I meant. I mean, literally just over the top. I am ridiculously evil. Ha ha ha. The Voldemort effect. Or give them layers. They don't need to necessarily have sympathy, but you could add sympathy. They don't necessarily have to have you know hidden depths to them, but they could have hidden depths. Flesh them out a bit. Gul Dukat was an evil man, and yet he was still an incredibly interesting and engaging character, which had tons of screen time devoted toward fleshing him out all over the place. Even one-off characters... Uh, or characters who only have a single episode to them across Star Trek have been fleshed out to the point where you actually feel like there's more to them than just boah-ha-ha. -ha. And yet this woman doesn't even have boah-ha-ha -ha going for her. She literally she might as well just walk up and stand there and say, Hi, I am the villain for this episode. And that's it. No point is being made. No intellectual concept is being laid forth. No humor is being attempted. Um... No, uh, no attempt is being made at inspiration, which is the final point, uh, final thing that a television show should do, in my opinion. Uh, inspiration is harder to define, but in other words, the uh, the idea of putting forth a spark or an idea or something that makes you feel uplifted or sad or tragic or really, it's it's an emotional thing. It's an ill-defined thing, one of those intangibles that just makes you really feel in a positive way, even if it's a negative feeling. I know that sounds weird, but I mean, there's a reason we like watching sad movies. There's a reason we like watching horror movies. So it's still a positive, even though it is a negative. You see where I'm going with that? This episode evokes no emotion in me. This does not give me anything intellectual to talk about. 
this does not give me anything to it, it does not preach at me or try to try to tackle an issue by the way I didn't give it a counter example uh, I know Star Trek gets a little preachy but oftentimes Star Trek tackles issues and does a really really good job of it probably my favorite example of all time and I can't wait to talk about this episode is measure of a man in TNG which took an issue and just said Whoa! and was completely unabashedly ashamed about really discussing it in a fictional sense to highlight what was actually going on in real life, especially at the time um, when that episode came out. So it doesn't do that, and of course there's nothing humorous about this episode whatsoever, with one exception. There's one line that made me crack a grin. That's it. But I mentioned that the morals and ethics thing, right? Uh, you could debate the morals and ethics of doing scientific experiment on animals for a long, long time. Human beings have been debating on that for a bare minimum of a century and arguably longer. We don't really know for sure. I'm not going to get into that debate because all I can do is throw my opinion in. Because that is what morals and ethics are. They are down to the individual. Any such discussion is always going to come down to the individual. But that's not really what's being discussed in this episode, is it? And that's the problem. There is no issue on debate here. If a group of human beings took and, and other human beings and decided to experiment on them for the sake of their own scientific process, we would call them Nazis. More literally than usual. Not to name drop this guy again, but Dr. Mengele, anyone? Now, granted, he, he's actually a bad example of this. He was just a sick, twisted bastard. But the point is, that has happened in human history. And it's generally considered to be freaking horrible. Even the times when good information and data has come about it, we still think it's freaking horrible. And in this episode, Miss Boring McBorepants comes on and says, with this incredibly dull tone, I just don't understand why I can't convince you to let all your crew die horrible deaths so we can gain valuable scientific knowledge. We will be saving so many lives by killing you. Just let us kill you. And she seems confused that Janeway doesn't agree with this. Keeping in mind, Janeway probably wouldn't agree with this on a good day. This is a day where her nerves are so frayed and she is so stressed and strained that she literally started yelling about... I don't even remember what it is. It was about something stupid. To the point where Tuvok had to say, Hey, Captain, you're being psychotic. Tuvok had to come in and say, Whoa, a little less strict here, yeah? And on that day, she... And, and, and I mention this because the scientist lady knows that because she and her people are the ones doing that. What? That's not even a straw man at that point. That's a stick figure that has the word evil written over the over the, the face, and you just hold it up and say, here you go. No, no voice. Just <clears throat> And then they're defeated. I talked about the Tom and uh, Bellana thing earlier, most especially because I feel like that's the only part of this episode that actually has any significance or relevance whatsoever, the continuation of that relationship. This is coming from me, someone who generally doesn't like relationships in his fiction. It, it's just a preference thing. That's all it really comes down to. I've talked about this before, especially when it comes to video games, um, and how so few video games have actually uh, indulged in relationships. In fact, I think it is still three, uh, as far as my own canon playthroughs go through. Hang on, there's... <laughs> I don't think about There's KOTOR, Mass Effect, and, and Dragon Age. Yeah, three. Three total. Morrigan, Liara, and uh, Bostula, and that's it. 
But um, even I found the romantic side of this episode the most lasting and interesting part of it. Now, it's also worth noting I've always been on the side of the Tom and Bellotta relationship because I feel like they did it right. And arguably it's one of two relationships that have done in Star Trek history that was actually done right. But I'm going to be off topic. Do I have anything else to say? Anything at all? Give me more to talk about! No! I'll see you guys next time. If it makes you feel any better, next episode, next two episodes are the year of hell. I'm actually kind of scared about doing those videos because I may have a lot to talk about in those ones. So, we'll see you. There's one more thing. The incident with Tom and Bellana started me thinking about ship's protocol, or lack thereof. Captain. It seems to me that people have been getting a little too comfortable around here lately. They're late for their duty shifts, taking mess hall privileges during non-designated hours, and a lot of people are spending more time on the holodeck than they are at their posts. You are security, Chief. Don't 13 department heads report to you every day? Yes. Well, straighten them out. Shall I flog them as well? Oh, 